I'm the type of person who just always has a plan. I can't help it, that's, that's just how I'm wired. I have backup plans for my contingency plans of my original plans. Are you the same way? Are you the type of person who thinks about a surprise party and you get excited because of all the details that are there and you can pour into every single one and you don't miss anything? Or are you the type of person who thinks about a surprise party, gets this anxiety that pours all over you? You focus on the details so much you might actually forget to invite the honored guest. Is that you? Whether you have a black belt in planning ahead or you're the type of person who just struggles to think what comes next, the same thing is true. Failures happen. The plans that we've best laid out sometimes just don't end up working out. And when that happens, we can feel like a failure just so, so quickly in our life. I remind people about that when they're in my office. These two young people, they're longingly looking into each other's eyes because they're about to get married. And I warn them, just so you know, you can plan everything out for your wedding day and there's a pretty good chance something's gonna go wrong. And remind them, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, you got married. Everything else just becomes your unique story. So speaking of weddings and things going wrong, this week in this series, we're gonna hang out with Jesus at the one wedding that we hear about him attending in the Bible the wedding at Cana, and sure enough, something went wrong. They ran out of wine. Now, that seems like really bad planning, but I don't know if it really was. You see, in our culture, you get married, you have a wedding reception that night, and you're done. But 2,000 years ago, that wedding celebration could be like a week, sometimes up to 10 days. Have some heavy drinkers show up, and that wine can be gone pretty fast. So maybe it wasn't necessarily bad planning it was a bad problem but why did it matter does it matter that they ran out of wine i mean i've been to weddings where there was no wine or beer we had a great time but see jesus day to run out of wine it was a big deal because they mixed that wine with water see they would crank the water out of this open air well there could be bacteria in there and they hoped that the the strong wine would kill off the bacteria in that water and they didn't have the filtration process that we have with water so water tasted pretty yucky and so the wine made it able to be drunk and, and uh, taste really good so to run out of wine is kind of run out of water it really was a big deal in our lives we can have big deals happen when our problems happen when our plans fail and if you're a perfectionist that's really tough and so if that happens to you, it's so easy to wonder, well, where's God? But where was God to help me with these problems? I'm a, I'm a perfectionist, nothing goes wrong. God, why didn't you help me just be who I am? Or if you're the type of person who struggles with plans, again, God, why don't you help me be better than, and be the person I want to be? And we get so hard on ourselves when things fall apart. Now, here's the big struggle. We can look at this and go, why didn't God interact? Why didn't God interrupt? Why didn't God do something and, and stop that problem before it already happened? You see, this week what we're going to do in this whole series, we're going to see things that just don't make sense. And because God knows all things, we can look at the problems we have in our life and go, why didn't God stop it? 
before it became a big problem for me. I mean, Jesus is at the wedding at Cana. Jesus knows all things, and so he knows the wine is running out. Why didn't he refill the wine before it ran out the last time? I mean, think, God did that in the Bible once. Old Testament, there was this jar of oil that just never ran out. It kept helping to feed the prophet and this widow and her son while this drought was happening. God did it then. Why didn't Jesus do that at the wedding at Cana? Why doesn't God do that for you and for me and, and stop the heartache before it even happens? Well, think about it. If Jesus had done that, if Jesus had stopped the wine from running out before it ran out, then the servants who later in the story help Jesus to have this water, they gather the water that Jesus changes into wine. If Jesus had stopped this whole thing from happening, those servants wouldn't have ever encountered the power, the love of Jesus. If Jesus had stopped this before it ever happened, then this wedding couple would not have encountered and experienced the power and the love of Jesus. The disciples wouldn't have had this as well. The scene in that unique setting, the power and the love of Jesus. I get it. We, we struggle when plans fail in our lives. Here's the big truth that I, I just want your heart and mind to leave from this video. When plans fail, and they will, when plans fail, it's not the absence of God's power and God's love. It's the opportunity. It's the opportunity for you and I to truly see the power of God coming in and helping us when we're in need. It's the opportunity for us to see the love of God coming to help us when we're in need. See, the we have our free will. And so in our free will, God lets us make our plans. And sometimes they do great and sometimes they fail. But in between and all around is a God who loves you. And see that, that is what this couple at Cana got to experience because Jesus let the plans play out the way that they had laid them out. They found that they had a, a friend who cared and could do something about it. And so do you. You have Jesus. The God of the universe loves you. The Jesus, the, the forgiver of sinful failures, loves you. Jesus, the defeater of the devil, loves you. Nothing is too big for his power to overtake. No sinful failure too strong or so large that his forgiveness can't have go away. You've got Jesus. That's the peace. That's the truth. Plans are going to fail. They are. But you've got God who's with you all the way. Let's pray. God help us, it's so easy for the plans in this world and in this life to fall apart around us. But God, help us to, when that happens, not charge you with wrong, but instead to charge towards you, to come to you with our pain and our problems and to know, God, that you are there and that you'll love us and you'll always help. In your name we pray, in you, in you we trust, amen. Has this ever happened to you that you're reading the Bible and you get to the end of an account, a story in the Bible, or you get to the period at the end of a passage in the Bible and you finish reading it and you go, yeah, I don't 
I don't know that I really get it. I mean, that can happen. It, it does happen. And, and actually, when you look at the Bible, that's pretty thick. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities for there to be confusion. When we read the Bible, we might go, eh, it, it doesn't really make sense to me. Now, I would argue that as you're reading through the Bible and you're casually reading or you're doing Bible study, I mean, this is the purity of God's heart to yours. The truth of what God wants you and I to know and to love is contained here. And the grand majority of the time, it's, it's really clear what God is saying here. There's other times, though, we might read the Bible and go, Man, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. A bunch of those times are because we don't get why God wants us to do what he wants us to do. Like, for instance, when God says to you, love your enemies. What? <laughs> really, God? That makes, that makes no sense. Do not gossip. Do not slander. What? Like, that makes, that makes no sense. Do not cheat to get ahead. I mean, there's things that happen and are written in the Bible that we read it and they just don't make sense to us. Now, that's not the Bible uh, contradicting itself. It's just the Bible contradicting our, our sinful nature. That's something completely different. But there are times when you're reading the Bible and you go, I just really don't get this. Like this little part, this little verse or this part of a story, like it doesn't make sense. Or maybe even it, it seems, it seems in my mind like it might uh, conflict with something else. In fact, that happens in the story that we are looking at in this video series that we're, we're examining of Jesus at this wedding at Cana. We're not too far into the story yet, but Jesus is attending a wedding and they run out of wine. And when the last drip of wine dropped into a wine glass, Mary, Jesus' mother, goes up to him and says, we got a problem. Uh, they've run out of wine. Now, what Jesus says to Mary seems like it's contradictory to what the Bible says about Jesus. What Jesus says to Mary, it kind of hits me a little bit like it, it could be sinfully disrespectful. And, and maybe you've thought the same thing. Mary goes to Jesus and says, we've run out of wine. And here's Jesus' answer. He says, woman, why do you involve me? Woman? <laughs> Jesus calls his mom, woman, I, I could imagine uh, doing that and having that go well in my household, at least. I, let's say I'm like 14 years old and I'm having dinner with mom and dad, and my, my, um, my sisters and my brother. And my mom says, hey, John, can, can you pass the corn? And I look up from my plate and go, woman, why do you involve me? Like, how, how do you think that would go over at my house? Not very well. I'm a decade plus older than Jesus when he said those words, and I wouldn't do that now. So, so how does that balance out then? I mean, the Bible is really clear that Jesus is fully, completely perfect. In fact, uh, I have this passage marked here. We're in 1 Peter. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 22, it says this. It's so clear. He, that's Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So, so how does that balance out then where you might read something like I just um, quoted to you of Jesus saying, woman, why do you involve me? And that seems like it could contradict that. So how do we, how do we work this out? Well, anytime you have a question about the Bible, 
let the Bible explain itself. Let scripture interpret scripture. So use the immediate context, then I would say wider context, and then like the full context of the Bible. And so often in there, you're going to find the answer. Okay, how does that work? Well, you could take any passage out of the Bible and you can make it say something God never intended to because you lose the context. So read it in the entire chapter. And a lot of times the answer of what's confusing you is, is right there. If it's not there, you go to the, the, the wider context. And that'd be like reading the entire book of the Bible. This account is in the, in the story of John. And if that doesn't work, you read the entire Bible. Okay, preacher, slow up. <laughs> did, did you say before, like, this is a thick book. Like, how in the world am I supposed to find whatever answer I need in here that when you said this is a large book? Well, we live in this amazing digital age, and, and maybe you've got one of these. You've got your own phone that you could use, and there's an app you could put on your phone, or you could go onto a computer. And there's ways that you can search the entire Bible. And I did that. I went to one of my favorite um, websites, Bible gateway.com. I went on Bible Gateway and I typed in woman and I said, okay, search how many times is woman in the Bible? Hit the button. 382 times in the NIV translation, woman shows up in the Bible. I'm like, well, that's, a, that's too many. So then I narrowed it down to the book of John and instantly 20 passages. Well, that didn't take long to read. It took me four minutes and I had my answer. You know, there's another time in the book of John where Jesus looks at his mother, Mary, and he calls her woman. Do you know where it is? It's when Jesus is on the cross. Here he is lovingly suffering for our salvation, paying the price that you and I are forgiven, that you and I can be with him in glory. And Jesus honors that commandment and fulfills that commandment of honor your father and mother. He looks out and he sees Mary there in her need He's going to die, he's going to rise, but he's going to go to heaven soon. The need of Mary to be cared for is present. So he says, John, take care of my mom. Woman, here is your son. Here's the one who's going to take care of you. Now, no one, no one looks at that interaction between Jesus and Mary on the cross. When he calls her woman, no one says that that's disrespectful. So it wasn't disrespectful there. That means it isn't disrespectful at the wedding at Cana. But see, there can be times when we read the Bible and go, I don't, I don't get it. So when that happens, dig into scripture. First, ask yourself, am I having problems with this because it's conflicting against my sinful nature? And if that's the case, we need to have an honest, real talk with God. God, help me to be faithful to you and to your word. And if it's something else, when you go, I just don't get it, dig deeper into the Bible. Let scripture interpret scripture. And here's the cool thing. The more you do that, the more you open up the pages of scripture, what you're going to see is this truth. Jesus loves you. God loves you. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And by believing you may have life in his name. When you have a question, go here. And in Jesus, you're going to have the answer.
In our series this week, we are hanging out with Jesus at a wedding at Cana. And we're seeing how things just aren't adding up. They don't really make sense right at the surface, right at the start. We saw in our last video, the last devotion, how Jesus has a strange interaction with Mary. And I wanna continue that conversation. Mary goes up to Jesus and says, hey, they've, they've run out of wine. And Jesus says, why do you in involve me? And then he says, my hour has not yet come. So it sure sounds like Jesus has no plan, no intention whatsoever of doing anything. Why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And then like in the next verses, he does something. Like the timing of Jesus just doesn't really make a lot of sense here. And by the way, you know what that's like and you know what that feels like. I'm sure there's been times in your life when you go, there's no way God has really a great interest in doing anything about this. And maybe that this is something small, pretty insignificant. Why would God care? And then there's this huge, amazing way that like God himself did this. It's just so obvious that God interrupted and he intervened. And you go, wow, God cared about something that small? And then there can be other times when you've got this big pain, this big problem, this big adversity. And where's God? And you're waiting and you're waiting. And the timing of God just, just doesn't make sense. See, that's what happened in this account where Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Now, at the end of the video, I'm going to explain what that means. But first of all, my, my heart feels the need to say this to you right now. Jesus has not forgotten you. If you're waiting on the timing of God, you're waiting on God to interrupt and intervene, God, Jesus, your Lord, has not forgotten you. There's times in the Bible where God acts, but the way he acts, his timing seems a little bit different. Like, I want, my, my heart is drawn to, I think it's Luke chapter 17. That's the account where these 10 men with leprosy, they come up to Jesus and they got this great physical need, the skin disease that they can't get rid of themselves. And they, they plead, they want healing from Jesus. And Jesus, okay, here's the plan. Go and show yourselves to the priests. He sends them away and, and they aren't healed. It seems like Jesus is just getting rid of them. But the healing happens, but it happens later. And maybe where you're at right now, God's got a plan, but the timing isn't right. And he goes, you just need to trust me. You just need to be here with me. My heart is drawn to uh, Mark 8. Uh, it's, it's kind of a lesser known story in the Bible. There's this account where this guy's born blind and he comes up to Jesus. They're interacting and Jesus heals him. But, but the healing of Jesus comes, it's like in stages. Jesus does this healing of the guy and he, and he looks out and he's like, I see, I see people, but they're like, trees. Like, in other words, they're blobs. <laughs> it's not crisp. It's not clear. And then Jesus later heals them and it's really crisp. So Jesus heals, but it comes in stages. And maybe here you are right now and you're struggling. You feel like God's maybe forgotten me and you have overlooked how God has gotten you through to where you are now. And I just want to assure you that God loves you. And he hasn't forgotten you. Just like Jesus didn't forget this couple and their need at Cana when they ran out of wine. 
See, Jesus went to them and he saw the need that was there and the embarrassment that was there. And he ended up saying, I can, I can do something about this. But really, Jesus filled their greater need. They wanted wine, but they needed something else. They got both. The 10 lepers that came to Jesus, the guy that was blind that came to Jesus, they wanted physical healing, but there was something that they needed even more. Now, God, because he loved them and he graced them, he gave them physical healing, but he gave them the greater need. It's the same need you have. And what is it? A friend, it's something you already have. You need a savior. You need someone who can love you and heal you and forgive you and interrupt your sin and take away all the pain and the guilt and the hurt of this life so that you have the ability to be with him in heaven. And that is what God has given you. And by the way, that's what Jesus is indicating in the answer he gave to Mary. When Mary comes to him and says, hey, they have this physical need, Jesus' answer is, my hour has not yet come. Now, whenever you search my hour in the Bible, Jesus is refer using that in reference to his death. What Jesus is saying is my, the, the purpose, my greatest purpose of being here is to help you spiritually. Jesus goes, okay, I'll, I'll help out physically with their lack of wine. I'm going to do that, but my, it's not my ultimate purpose. To give people what they need, spiritual healing. That's my purpose. Friends, that's what you have. That's what you have in your God, your Lord, your Savior, that his hour came and he willingly went to that cross so that you could be forgiven. So that when your hour comes, your last hour on this earth, Jesus will usher you into glory. Christ has not forgotten you. He always fulfills for you his, your greatest need, his love. And it is always yours. So throughout our devotions this week, we are hanging out with Jesus. We're crashing a wedding at Cana with Christ. And we've been seeing things that just really don't make sense right on the surface. They run out of wine. There's a strange interaction between Jesus and Mary. And now in this uh, devotion, we're going to see how the plan that Jesus has to fix this problem of running out of wine, it just, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's life. I mean, there's times that life just absolutely doesn't make sense. You could work with dedication, devotion at your job, and for some reason, you get passed over for the promotion. You could train and toil on your sports skills, and then you ride the bench. You don't get any clock time, and you barely get out there. Uh, you could work up this courage, this confidence to ask this beautiful someone out that you want to go on a date with, and you just get shot down. There are times when life just doesn't work out. And then you can open the Bible up and go, okay, all right, God, I, I need you. I need guidance. I need your help. And you can open up scripture. And there's times that what God says there doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, don't get angry. Like, I shouldn't get angry that that person got the promotion when I'm the one who deserved it. Jesus says, don't get jealous. Don't be jealous of the person who gets time on the court when I truly feel like I've worked harder and I've got better skills. Like, Jesus, that, that doesn't make sense. Don't find my worth in my dating 
or engaged or married or divorce status. Like God, the world looks at us in a different way. Like this, it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's times when the plan that's out there and the way God wants us to walk it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. I'm guessing the servants that listened to Jesus when he told them, this is what you need to do to have things work out. I'm guessing they heard that plan and go, yeah, um, this doesn't make sense. See, Mary, though, went to those servants and said, do whatever he says. Now, what did Jesus say? In this story, in this account, Jesus says, all right, so look over here. There are six large stone jars um, used for ceremonial washing. There's six of them over there. They are between 20 to 30 gallons each. So let's say that on average they're 25 uh, gallons. And say, Jesus says, all right, fill them up with water to the brim. That's a lot of water. And Jesus, why do we need water? We've run out of wine. Like, we got plenty of water. We don't need water. We, we need wine. But there's no hesitation. In the text, there's no hesitation from these men, these servants. They go and they do. And by the way, I always say this. When, when you're studying the Bible, get street level. Like, get into the scene. Do you realize how long this would have taken for them to fill up those stone jars? Six of them, on average, 25 gallons each. So quickly, can you do the math? Six times 25, carry the three. That's 150 gallons of water. And they're not going over to the, the sink over there and turning on the faucet. They're not going around back of the building and opening up a spigot. At, at best, they're traipsing across town and cranking up the water from the well and they have to carry it back. and. By the way, 150 gallons of water, uh, it's about 1,200 pounds of water. Like That is a, a crazy amount of work and no hesitation. So they fill up all the water to the brim and then Jesus goes, okay, now scoop out a cup and go take it over to the headmaster. Take it to the one person who can fire you and present this water as if it was wine. And by the way, no one in the history of the world has ever had a drink of water and went, ugh, I kind of think that's wine. <laughs> like, and not even this guy with his refined palate of wine tasting, would he ever think that? But the servants do what Jesus said. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And you and I know, if you've read this Bible story, that Jesus has this wine, or this water, excuse me, turned into the best tasting wine that this headmaster had ever had. Why? Well, Jesus does what he says. You know, that advice that Mary gave to the servants is perfect advice for us. It's not just for Mary, but the Bible repeats it as well. Don't just merely listen to the word of God, do what it says. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say to you? Well, he says, come to me. Come, come to me when you're weary and your burden when life doesn't make sense. And I will give you rest. Jesus, come to me with your pains and your problems. Come to me with your fear and your anxiety and your worry. Come to me with everything you don't think could possibly work out. And Jesus promises you something. He promises you rest. Now, don't misunderstand that. Jesus is not promising that every pain and every problem will completely go away. But he promises you 
you're gonna have peace in the middle of that pain. You're gonna have perspective to the problems. And in that and with that, you will find rest. Friends, whatever it is that is weighing on your heart as you're watching this video right now, give that over to Jesus. Do what he says, go to him, and in him, you will always find rest. What is an unexpected gift that you've received in your life? My sister actually won a Corvette from a radio station. Like, who does that? Who gets a Corvette from a radio station? Uh, but my sister did. True story. My wife and I were gifted a cruise. Uh, friends of ours of our church in Florida heard we had never been on a cruise. They said, we gotta fix that, and they paid for everything. Amazing gift. True story. There is a couple at Cana who ran out of wine, and this person at the wedding gave them an incredible volume, a huge amount of the finest tasting wine that people had ever tasted. True story. Throughout this series, we've been looking at this account of Jesus being at the wedding at Cana, and we've been looking at things that just don't always make sense. I got one left. Sometimes what doesn't make sense is just how good your incredible God is. See, when Jesus gives a gift, he gives it in full measure. I mean, he brings it. And the, what's confusing about that is, why? Like, why would God love me? Why would God, of all the human beings on the entire planet, why would he care individually about me? I, I know my sins, I know my wrongs, I know that I've, what I've done, and, and so do you. So why, why, why would God individually love us? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would Jesus care about this couple and the fact that they ran out of wine? But he did. And when Jesus gave them that gift, it was exceptionally valuable. In our video yesterday, I told you that the six stone jars that were filled up to the brim with water that Jesus later turns into some of the finest tasting wine out there, that was 150 gallons of wine. I did a little bit of research, and by the way, that comes out to, are you ready for this? 750 bottles, standard size bottles of wine. Some of the finest tasting. So is this $30 a bottle, 50, 75, 100. I mean, think about how much value this is, 750 bottles of wine. By the way, if you put that in a case, in cases, and you stacked it up, it'd be four stories tall. Now, again, think about the logistics on this and this incredible gift that Jesus chooses to give. They ran out of wine which means this weekish long celebration of this wedding has been raging for some time. They're, they're almost out of time on the wedding. They didn't need that much wine, but Jesus can't help but be generous because that is who he is, which means the leftover wine they could have sold, they could have lived off. God gives and he gives generously. And I'm suspecting when you look in the history of your life, there's times where God has done some marvelous things, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways. 
And he uses the hearts of generous people who love him to then love you in his name. When I was a kid growing up, I, I very much remember in the early 80s, there was this big uh, insurance thing that happened and a lot of farmers uh, were losing their farms. And my family was very close to losing literally the farm, the family farm. And a loved one gave us a check. And because of that, God used that to bless us to literally save the family farm. God works in generous ways through generous people. I've heard of other people that have had their whole tuition paid for in school, brand new car given to this person, a house being bought. I mean, amazing acts of generous kindness that come from the name of God through God's people to God's people. And you've been blessed even more than that even more than a, a new house or a new car or vacation or Corvette off of a radio station, you've got the love of Christ, the God of the universe, who cherishes you, who gives you what you need whenever you need it. The book of Psalms gives us this encouragement. It's a Psalm 107. It says, For he, that's God, satisfies the thirsty, and fills the hungry with good things. He satisfied literally the thirst of the people at this wedding at Cana by giving them in a generous way. And God satisfies you, thirst for him, hunger for him and more of his love. And God who gives will give generously of who he is to you in forgiveness because that is just who God is.